This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. Good morning. <laughs> I'm glad you came to worship with us today. I'm glad you're here. I know we have quite a few watching online today. Thank you so much for joining with us online. Uh, let us know you're watching by liking the stream, sharing it to our page. Um, we, we've been in the series called What's Next? We've looked at the end times and we've talked about, uh, taught, preached, all the above about things that have already happened, some things that are still yet to come. And I want to talk this morning on installment number seven. You're going to say last week was five. What happened to number six, Right. Number six, we talked about Wednesday night. We, we, talk, we dealt with the Antichrist and what the Bible says about him. Long story short, he's real and he will come into power. But newsflash, we win. Okay? So there's that. Um, but uh, if you did miss it, and, and uh, like I said, we did it Wednesday. Um, every sermon in this series is in the archives online. Feel free to go watch it if you don't know. Where that's at, ask Daniel McAllister, and he'll be glad to help you. Um, but this morning, I want to deal with installment number seven about this what's next, and I want to talk about a glorious event, a reunion of sorts, when we talk about the return of the king. The return of the king. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, I thank you so much for what you've done in this service so far. And God, I pray that you would... Be with us throughout the rest of this message, God, Lord, that you'd speak through your word today. God, I pray that you'd be with your servant, God, for you know I can't do this without you. God, be my mouth as I speak, Lord, comfort me like you did Moses. God, I pray for every single person in the room that you would open up minds to know, ears to hear, eyes to see the truth of your word. God, we're just believing for miracles in this room. And God, we are thanking you in advance for the new that we're going to receive in 2021. God, I just have faith to believe and hope that you're still on the throne. And that one day, soon and very soon, we'll see you again. Lord God, I thank you. And it's in your name I pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Revelation chapter 19. If you have your word, go ahead and go there with me today. I'm reading out of the NIV version, but Revelation chapter 19, we're going to read verse, starting with verse number 11. Uh, we'll get there in just a minute. I have a little pre, pre kind of text that I want to talk about, but while I'm doing that, you can turn to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. Seven years by now have passed, okay? The Antichrist, as we know, will issue a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. The first three and a half are, are awesome, and the people of God are happy. The temple begins to be rebuilt again, and at least the ones that are left, right? The, the last three and a half years are basically hell on earth, and, and, it's, and it's basically where this man who rises to power basically goes back on every promise that he made to the chosen people of God, the Jews, and um, starts um, um, pouring out his wrath on the nation during these seven years, right? The earth has gone through some horrendous things. God has um, poured out his wrath upon the earth. All Christians, babies, children have disappeared in the rapture. 
There have been natural disasters beyond comparison. There have been supernatural um, ones beyond your imagination. And Satan's puppet, the Antichrist, has killed more people than in history. The Antichrist has hunted down, killed those who became Christians during the seven years. He has killed those who refused to take his mark. He has killed those who opposed his reign. He has tried to kill the Jews, but if you remember, the Bible said that God will protect his people. And he has proclaimed himself, the Antichrist, to be God, lowercase g, because we all know that there is only one true God. The sad part is the world, for the most part, has listened. The world worships this guy. The world has become so morally corrupt that they applaud a man who is literally evil personified. The most evil man who has ever and will ever live. But now the seven years have passed and Satan in his arrogance thinks that he has won. Satan's pride blinds him. But we all know that through scripture it tells us that pride comes before the fall. And his pride literally blinds him to where he literally thinks he has a chance. Now listen, he knows prophecy. He knows the Bible. And so he knows that Christ will return and when Christ will return. And so he gathers the armies of the world to do a battle in the valley called the Battle of Armageddon. And he is again so prideful and arrogant to think that he can win. Revelation 19 tells us exactly What will happen? Would you read with me this morning, starting verse number 11? I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called the faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing flames and on his head are many crowns. He has written a name on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen white and clean coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations he will rule with them an iron scepter he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God almighty on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written king of kings and lord of lords And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying midair. Come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people free and slave great and small. Verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But what's it say in verse 20? The beast was captured and with it the prophet who had performed signs on its behalf, the Antichrist. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into a lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves in their flesh. Talk about something right out of the movies, right? We're talking 
You know, for all these years, human drama has been kind of, you know, just it's been laid out. And since the day that man sinned in the Garden of Eden, the whole story of history has been moving towards one tremendous event. The event is the day when Jesus Christ returns to the world for a second time in this, uh, in power and in glory to reign on the throne of David. And when Jesus was here on the earth, he made a lot of promises, okay? But none of those promises give us more hope hope than the promise that he will indeed return. In fact, the last recorded words of Jesus is found in Revelation chapter 22, verse number 20, where it says, surely I come quickly. It's the hope of the church. It's when all things will be redeemed. It's when the enemy is, is for the last time beaten and sin no longer rules. It's a time to yearn for and long for. Amen. And that is why Jesus told us to pray for his kingdom to come. For his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's coming a day when heaven will meet earth. And this place will once again be rid of sin. You know there's many men in the history of this world who have left a legacy in their words. Nixon said, I am not a crook. But we know that he was. Even, um, even you have, um, you have um, a George Bush that said, read my lips, no new taxes. And there were. So for a lot of men, they're just words, right? However, let me tell you something. The words of Christ are true. They will always be true. Everything he's ever said is true. And when he tells us he's coming again, take it to the bank. Because church, he's coming. The point, we have to get ready for that day. But I want to back up just a couple maybe 2,000 years or so. And I want to take you on a, a ride. I want you to put on your imagination caps for just a minute. And I want you to picture yourself being a young boy or a young girl, maybe 12 years old. You live in a small village somewhere in Israel. Just a few years before Jesus Christ's birth, you live in your home, your mom and your dad, maybe some siblings, you... You, you got you scrape to get by. You, you don't have a lot. You, it's, it's hard to live. You, you barely have enough. Every day is tough. And going to and from the market, just, just going outside to play, you hear the, the, the sound of soldiers. Roman soldiers are always there. They're not nice. They don't smile. They're not there to protect you. They're there to oppress you, to take what they want, even your own life if they so choose. They, they hate you and they are suspicious of you and they treat you with contempt. And the sad reality is they don't even know you. And even at this early age that you're in, you have seen horrible things. You've seen the Roman soldiers do unspeakable cruel things that you try not to, 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 to ponder on when you go to sleep at night. You have witnessed people dying. You, 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 they, they are a constant reminder to you that you are not free and, then you, and your life is in pale comparison to theirs. You are a people, though, with a very rich heritage. You have been taught your entire life that you are God's chosen people. 
You have heard the stories, the promises of Abraham. You've heard the deliverance from Egypt. You've heard the battles for the promised land. You've heard about King David. You know where your people have come from. And you wonder how God ever let you get here. You wonder why God would allow his chosen people to go through so much trauma. But yet you never lose hope. Why? Because hope is all you have. Because hope gets you by. Because you have one... Have a hope that one day God will deliver you. Maybe in your lifetime you have hope. And, and why do you have hope? Because God promised it. God has promised to, for you to be delivered. God had promised in his holy scriptures through the prophets that one day he will send a chosen, a Messiah to set you free. To set Israel up above all other nations. You have prophecies like this one. Where it says a, a shoot will come up from, from um, a Jesse. From its roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteous he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Righteousness will be his belt. It goes on to say that the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. A calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. A little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hands into the nest and they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For what's it say? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious in that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people let me tell you something they were promised so they knew the stories they knew the prophecies but picture yourself imagine living in that time maybe they heard the prophecy in um, Jeremiah chapter 23 where it said the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely and to do what is just and right in the land or maybe they even heard the prophecy that said on that day there will neither be sunlight nor cold watch it says it will be a unique day a day known only to the Lord with no distinction between day and night when evening comes there will be light on that day living waters will flow out of Jerusalem half of its east to the Dead Sea and half of its west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and winter the Lord will be king over the whole earth and on that day there will be what? One Lord and His name the only name maybe you grew up hearing that story 
And these are just a few prophecies in the Old Testament that speak about an anointed one that will come from the nation of Israel, from the line of David who will rule the world. The Messiah was set to set captives free. He will reign justly and righteously. He will judge the unrighteous and destroy them. He will usher in an age of peace and prosperity. He will reign from Jerusalem and the nation of Israel will be lifted up and rule with them. Now imagine you're that young child. Dreaming of your Messiah to come. What would that person look like to you? What would you expect? What would you be looking for? You'd be looking for a warrior. You know, Revelation talks about the heavens part and he appears, comes riding in on a white horse. His eyes have flames. He wears many crowns on his head. He devours the enemy with a word from his mouth. That's what you would be looking for. They were expecting a lion, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Hosea 11, another prophecy, even says he will roar like a lion. But now imagine about 20 years later, you stand at the foot of the hill called Golgotha or the place of the skull and you gaze up at three crosses. They're on the hillside. There in the middle hung the one they called Jesus. He'd been beaten. Whipped, mocked, laughed at and now moments from his death. There had been a glimmer of hope. This Jesus that is hanging there had been going from town to town preaching and teaching with words that were too brilliant for a mere man. He, he had opened blind eyes. He had caused the lame to walk and he had even raised the dead and some had questioned his humble beginnings but a closer look at the, the prophecies um, they, they, they determined it was just a matter of time before he took up the sword and fulfilled the remaining ones. You had even started to believe that this Messiah, this Jesus, this one born as a baby to, to lead this world, all the prophecies, you begin to see them come fulfilled until this happened. And you stand gazing at the cross, frustrated, confused, sad, even angry. Frustrated that... This deliverance had not come like it was promised. Confused because you had really believed he was the one. Sad because your hopes had been destroyed. Angry because you felt like you had been deceived. Even his closest had deserted him. One of his inner circle even betrayed him and offered him up to be killed. You, you were there when they passed judgment. You were one of the many voices that screamed out, crucify him. It was for you that he died. It was for you that he gave his life. And it was for you that he came back again. But to that boy, to that little girl, to that teenager, to that adult, this was supposed to be the Messiah. And he's dying. He should be ruling. And so you walk away from the man on the cross and you begin watching for this Messiah to come again. And 2,000 years later, the Jewish people are still looking for him. 
they do not claim Jesus to be the one. As Christians, we sometimes pass judgment on the people of Israel and wonder why they were so quick to reject Jesus as the chosen. We'd love to imagine that if we were there, we would have been at the, at, at the cross with those others who had abandoned him. And, and you would like to think that you would understand it all and you would act differently, but you would have been just as confused as anyone else. Because let me tell you something, it's easy to look back now and explain everything that happened, but put yourself right in the middle of where they were. They didn't understand that, that, that he was going to come for a first time and his purpose for the first time wasn't to create a heaven on earth. His purpose was something completely different and they didn't understand that it didn't make sense to them. This can't be the, the chosen one because we were expecting a lion, not a lamb. But just because it didn't happen then doesn't mean it won't happen. Just because Jesus did not fulfill all the prophecies in the very first coming doesn't mean that he's not going to come back and won't do the rest. It just wasn't time yet. Jesus promised that he was coming back. And when he promises something, it will happen. Can I encourage somebody right now? Just because it hasn't happened for you yet doesn't mean it won't happen. Can I say that and write it down on a piece of paper, put it in your Bible, write it on your mirror, put it in your car? Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. Hold out for hope because if he said it, it's going to happen. The same promises that the Jewish nation believed in are the same promises that we believe in. We're looking for the promises to be fulfilled. The only difference is we know who the chosen one is because we've read the whole story. We know. Jesus' very first coming will be different from his last because the purpose of his two advents were very different. You may look at the beginning and read in the Gospels and think that something went terribly wrong, but it didn't. Everything went exactly the way he had planned for it to go. God is in absolute control. He's a sovereign God. Listen, the very first time Jesus came, it was for a reason to redeem mankind and to reconcile us back to God. Man's heart was sinful. And the Bible called mankind the enemy of God because of the sin that was in us. And if the Messiah would have come to reign and judge while we were still in that state... All of mankind would have been doomed. The only way that we could be reconciled to God was through a sacrifice. The wages of sin is... And there had to be death to satisfy the requirement. For years, animals were sacrificed. But what can the blood of an animal do? It can, co it, it, it can cover, but it won't cleanse. And for this purpose, Jesus came over 2,000 years ago to become the sacrifice that would satisfy the justice of God. Jesus died and shed his blood so the world could be saved. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. The one pure, spotless Lamb. The first time he came, he came as a Lamb. The Bible says a, a, on the prophecy that was given that says, Who has believed our message? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God you reading this but watch what it says but he was pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed but yet he did not open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers are silent So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. Listen. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through the Lord make his life an offering for our sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And he and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand after he has suffered. And he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Watch verse 12. Therefore... I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is what the first coming looked like. Like a lamb that took every bit of pain for you and I. But the second time he comes will look different This time he's coming for a different purpose. This time when the king comes back, he is coming to destroy his enemies and set up his throne here on earth like the prophecies have written. The very first time he came, he was a baby in weakness and meekness. But the next time he comes, he will come in power and glory. The very first time he came, very few bowed before him. But when he comes again, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. At the very first coming, the door of the inn was shut in his face. But in the second coming, we read of a door opened in heaven from which he rides. The very first coming was shrouded in secret very few knew of his arrival but when he returns everyone will know every eye will see him and they will know him the first time he came he came to suffer for the sins of the world he was mistreated he was humiliated but the next time he comes he will return as a judge the very first time he came as a servant but the next time he comes he comes as the king of kings and the lord of lords He is the king, and the king is returning soon. Revelation 19 talks about a lot of things. I'm going to go through these real quick. 
Revelation 19 says on his head were many crowns. Not just a crown, but many. He wears all of them. It means that he shall rule over everything. Chapter 19 reads that he wages a righteous war. All down through history, there have been many wars. Wars fought for dumb reasons. In fact, all, all wars boil down to one thing, sin. Jesus, on the other hand, wages righteous war. His cause is just cause. He, he, he fights the battle of the Lord. He comes making war with the enemies of God. Revelation 19 talks about a name written on him that no one understood except himself. This means that if you don't know him as Savior when he returns, you won't ever know him. It says in Revelation 19 that his title was the Word of God because John chapter 1 says that he is the Word and at his word things happen. When he returns in power and glory he will speak the word and the word will win in Revelation chapter 19 it talks about the armies of heaven dressed in pure white linen why? because he is a God of righteousness it talks about that he will rule with a rod of iron what is that? the word rule actually means to shepherd listen after his enemies are beaten, the Lord Jesus will make his kingdom on earth and he will lead the people of earth like a shepherd leads his flock. He will in that day lead us beside still waters and cause us to lie down in green pastures. The Bible calls this event the great and terrible day of the Lord. Think about that. What an oxymoron. A great and terrible day. Because for many it will be great. And for some, it will be terrible. The question is, what side of the fence do, do you lean on? In closing today, y'all know, I, I, when I was in college, I was a math major. I, I studied math. I love numbers. I, I got to thinking about this and... I know all this seems pretty just amazing, right? And, and sometimes even hard to grasp. How do we know this will really happen? It seems so far-fetched beyond our comprehension, almost like a story that we read at night to our kids of all this that's going to happen, right? And if you struggle with faith or with God's Word, here's a little something that will help your faith, I hope. If you are a probable person, or someone who likes to measure things, here is something that might be interesting to you. Probability is known as odds. It's, it's a branch of math that measures the likelihood that a given event will actually occur. For instance, the probability that you are struck by a lightning in a year is 1 in 700,000. The probability of being killed by that lightning is 1 in 2 million. The probability that, you'll, that you will become president is 1 in 10 million. The probability of a meteorite landing on your house, okay, is 1 in 180 quadrillion. The probability that you'll die is 1 out of 1. Now there was a, there, there was this article written about the probability of some of the great things that, that um, Christ did while on earth. 
And they applied this principle to the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And they looked at just eight of the 300 prophecies that Jesus did. Listen to this. That he would be born in Bethlehem one chance in 280,000. That a prophet would prepare the way for him, talking about John the Baptist, one in a thousand. That he would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, one in a hundred. That he'd be betrayed by a friend, one in a thousand. That he'd be betrayed for money, one in a thousand. That, that this money would be used to buy a potter's field, one in a hundred thousand. That Jesus would keep silent at his trial, one in a thousand. That he would be crucified, one in ten thousand. Those are individual prophecies. Those are the probabilities of Jesus doing each one separately. But let me tell you something. To answer the question, we have to know the probability of one man doing eight of these. Not even the 300 total that he did. And when you multiply them together, one man doing just eight of the 300 things that he did. Listen, one in 10 and 28 zeros. I don't even know what that is. Why do I even mention that? Because even science can prove that he's the son of God. And if he is already, if they can prove eight, and we know he's done, you know, much, much more. And if he's already done those, then why would we ever doubt just one more? Jesus is coming soon. He is coming again. He will ride on a white horse. The king is coming. But I have a question that I've asked every week. And I want to ask again. Are you ready? Are you ready? You know we talked about the Antichrist this past week. And we know it's true. The Bible prophesies it. Having this information in our head almost requires us, obligates us to spread the good news of Jesus before it's too late. So I encourage you today, share Jesus with somebody. If you yourself don't know Him, know Him today. If you're watching online and you don't know Him, know Him today. The probability of Jesus coming back is one out of one. Are your loved ones ready? Are you ready?